Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today is September 15th, 2021. Simon, congratulations. We did it, man. 100th episode today. I didn't think we could do it, but here we are. And cheers to 100 more, my man. Yeah, very exciting getting to 100. I think we're actually a couple episodes more than that, but we're not counting the five-minute episodes with like quick updates that we did. Uh, but right. uh, yeah, it's pre- pretty amazing, right? Within uh, two years, we, we did 100. So yeah, congrats. Yeah, I think if you were to look, there's more than 100 postings, but they're not actual episodes. Whereas this is the actual 100th episode. So uh, yay, we made it. And cheers to 100 more. All right, uh, before we get into an earnings roundup today, we got lots of fun companies to talk about, different sectors, so you can get a feel of what's going on. But how about the Blue Jays? And if you're not a sports fan, that's okay. But this is Canada's team when it comes to baseball, and they are playing on rookie mode. And I know you're a, uh, a baseball fan as well, so go Jays go, man. Yeah, yeah, it's probably my uh, my favorite sport to watch on TV, uh, like on par with hockey, I would say. But they've been just so fun to uh, to watch. I mean, you can make a case that sometimes baseball is boring, but uh, for that team, they're they're exciting and they're turning heads even in the U.S. So that takes a lot. Yeah, and what they put up like twenty two runs the other day, like that's not boring. I mean, if even if you think baseball is a little boring, watch some of these games. It's not. They're putting up so many runs. I'm going to the game on Sunday. I can't wait. All right, let's get right into it, Simon, with your first company on today's earnings show. Yeah, first company I want to talk about for the earnings release is Lululemon, ticker Lulu, L-U-L-U. On August 26, uh, they also announced that they were raising the minimum wage. They would pay their employees for the majority of their stores. The rates would be starting at $15 an hour to $17 an hour, depending on the stores and the roles. In terms of their earnings, I mean, I'm not sure what else to say outside of like they were amazing. They just blew everything out (laughs) of the water. Um, Their net revenue increased 61% to 1.5 billion. Direct to consumer revenues increased 8% to 597 million. Direct to consumer was 41.2% of total revenue. That's a bit of a decrease compared to last year, but let's just keep in mind that last year, a lot of people were just ordering online on their website. The company-operated stores increased uh, their revenue by 152% to $695 million. Again, we're talking about what was happening last year here. Gross profit increased 72% to $842 million. And gross margins increased 390 basis points when a lot of retailers and... um, yeah, a lot of retailers actually saw those decrease because of increased costs. So we're seeing that uh, Lululemon has a lot of pricing power. Net income more than doubled at $208 million. Free cash flow was $355 million versus negative free cash flow last year. 
they increased their guidance uh, between 619 billion to 600 sorry 6.19 billion to 6.26 billion for the full year that's an increase of 5. Point, uh, compared to their previous guidance of 5.82 billion to 5.9 billion so that's really impressive because they're seeing really their sales going up very nicely that's why they increased it for the rest of the year and obviously when you're getting closer to the end of the year typically management will have a better idea of what the full year will look like so very interesting that they were increasing this women's sales were up 49 percent to 968 million which is still their biggest segment men's sale which was very impressive up 91 percent to 363 million and they're saying that they're actually beating what they were projecting for the increases in men's sale and other categories did quite well as well those other categories include the recent acquisition of mirror that was up 81 percent to 118 million all in all amazing quarter from lululemon they just keep firing on all cylinders i'm not quite sure what other uh, adjective I can give them right here? They're absolutely crushing it. I have three thoughts here. One, that the men's sales segment up 91% is bonkers. The men's segment is crushing it. And the fact that it's now over one-fifth of the revenue for the business means that they are really transitioning and focusing on that. And the results are speaking for themselves. You and I both love the clothes, so it makes sense uh, that this category is killing it. The second one of my hot take is 41.2% of total net revenue, which is direct to consumer on their e-commerce channel platform, which is down from 61%, is actually amazing. And the reason for that is now that the stores are open, 41% of their total net revenues are still going from direct to consumer is incredible that is higher margin uh, product that they're able to move and this speaks to the brand power and how much the customers like it direct to consumer with clothes is difficult because of the friction of having to make sure that the clothes actually fit versus trying it on if you know your size at lululemon and you know you order some product in the size that you know fits you, you know you're going to like it and you know how it's going to fit every time. It's consistent. So that speaks to that 41% of total net revs going through that direct consumer channel. That is huge. And then uh, the third thing here is it is difficult to invest in clothing companies because it's so tricky to to gauge whether something's going to be in style or out of style in the future. But look at this from Lululemon. They keep getting it done and it's starting to enter that high quality category where people are not concerned about that, like a Nike that just seems to just have forever brand power. Lulu could be starting to prove that. One more thing before we move on. There was a viral tweet about some guy who's been holding Lululemon for you know, like over a decade now or whatever. Um, and it must have been on the U.S. listing the whole time because the Canadian listing got delisted, unfortunately. But it is the classic 
hundred bagger story. He's posting how he's hold it for this long. It's his first hundred bagger. And congrats to this guy because it's actually hard to come across hundred bagger. People sell it before they even get to that hundred bagger. And it is the perfect hundred bag story. It is not always up and to the left or up and to the right. My apologies. It is that classic period of it did nothing for years. It had huge drawdowns. He saw crazy volatility. He saw the value of his stock go down like 80% sometimes, but he held through it because he focused on the business fundamentals and not the stock price. So if you want to have some of these hundred baggers, you want to have some of these companies that do create life-changing wealth, you got to hold on to them and understand that volatility along the way is 100% normal. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just part of the ride. It's part of the ride, baby. All right, moving on. Restoration Hardware, the furniture company. Revenues were up 39% from a year ago, and I like that in their, all their statements on the press release, they also have a separate line that says what it was against two years ago because Q2 is a very tricky comparable given that Q2, we're in the thick of lockdowns that's just tricky comparable to make so revenues are up 40 percent from two years ago very similar figure impressive net income doubled now the stock is up 750 percent from last march which is absolutely insane it's a very interesting stock here even at 14 billion it's, it's still fairly small in the grand scheme of things Maybe not for a furniture company, but they are carving themselves out as a leader in luxury home furnishings. And look, people need furniture and they want that new modern look. RH or Restoration Hardware is that brand. Gross margins were at an impressive 49%, which was up over over the year. And they're guiding for a 33% revenue growth and a whopping 70% on return on invested capital for the year. I mean, look, this is the company that has that modern look. People love it. People like the brand. And I am personally bullish on the luxury category overall, whether it's furniture or jewelry. The luxury category right now, I believe, is uh, prime for the future. Yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing to add there. So we'll move on to our next name, Roots, uh, ticker Root.to. I'm sure everyone who's from Canada listening knows this brand pretty well. Um, we're talking about the clothing brand, obviously. Pretty small business for context, $130 million in market cap. Sales were up 1.8% to $38.9 million. Direct-to-consumer sales up 6.6% to $30.4 million, which was kind of impressive um, for, to have such a big part of their sales uh, to be direct-to-consumer. Gross margins of uh, 58.1%. That's up 340 basis point uh, from Q2 2020, which is pre pretty impressive right there. Net loss of 1.1 million, which translates to three cents per share. Free cash flow negative for the quarter compared to free cash flow positive last year. They have some new collaborations with Tim Hortons, Jason Logan, plus the Toronto Inc. Company. 
They had 68 stores close when they entered Q2 2021, and now they are all open except one. So that's a good sign for them. Uh, personally, it is a company that I associate a lot with Canada, just uh, kind of the idea I have in mind. Uh, but I'm not sure if it's a company I would necessarily invest in. But it's not trading super expensive, but it's also not a company that I can see growing very quickly and it's probably the opposite of Lululemon here where I'm not sure they can keep up with new fashion trends like a Lululemon, a Nike or insert other clothing company that does well over time. So yeah, kind of in a nutshell what Root did in the last quarter. For the same reason I said investing in fashion brands is difficult is the same bear case for Roots. And I mean, I believe... From my perspective, and perhaps this is just anecdotal evidence, the brand has lost a lot of power over time. And it is just that cute Canadian clothing company. And that's difficult for me to actually invest in as, as an investor myself because these Canadian companies, I need them to demonstrate scale. I need them to demonstrate scale for them to be an investable idea. Because in the grand scheme of things, Canada is a small market. Do I think that Roots is going to be a bigger and better company in 10 years? I cannot say that with any confidence. And that's basically checklist number one in my investment thesis. Moving on. Dave and Busters. Ticker play. That's an awesome ticker. Uh, so I like to pull up businesses like this that represent, you know, quote unquote, air quotes, reopening that buzzword especially for Q2 reports, because we were in the thick of lockdowns and Zoom happy hours. I do not miss those Zoom happy hours. If you invite me to a Zoom happy hour, I will say no thank you. Dave & Buster's meets this criteria, right? It is that going out activity. For those who aren't familiar with Dave & Buster's, they own 143 locations that combines a restaurant, a bar, arcade games kind of all together. And now they say their venue offers the opportunity to eat, drink, play, and watch. I've been a time or two, Simon, it's kind of fun. Like I can't really say with confidence that it's fun, but it's it's kind of fun. Revenues totaled 377 million compared to the previous year of only 50 million. However, not useful. They were hardly open. I want to see that year before, which was a $344 million in, in 2019. So this does represent a 9.6% increase from 2019, which is the comparable that I'm looking for. The 2020 number means basically nothing to me. So it is interesting when you're looking at these reports, you'll see the headline, Dave & Buster's increases revenue 600%. Slow down. That's really uh, not a good way to look at it. It is up 9.6% from 2019, which is impressive. Uh, the CEO and the management team says that you know people are looking to get back out there and do stuff. And this is one of those do stuff type businesses. For me, it's just kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, I've been there a few times myself too, and I would probably agree with that. You know, if you drink enough, you'll have a good time. That's probably what. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point, right? And that's where they make all their margin, right? Is is on the drinks, so 
Yeah, it's an interesting company to follow because I know we're not really in lockdowns anymore, but even if we don't enter a lockdown and cases go way, way up, will people be comfortable going to a place right. like that inside? I think that's a big uh, big wild card for them. So it'll be interesting just to keep an eye on it and with COVID cases and the Delta variant, how things go going forward. Um, but now let's move on to a completely different business, uh, Dollarama. Everyone knows about Dollarama, the uh, Canadian dollar store, market cap of $17 billion. Sales increase 1.6% to uh, $1,029,000,000. Comparable s- store sales were actually... Um, kind of a mixed bag because if people remember during this time period in Q2 part of it uh, there was a ban on non-essential products in Ontario so their sales went down about 5% for that period of time and then the rest of the quarter they were up about 5% when the ban was stopped. Uh, Gross margins decreased 50 basis points so that's not great to see not surprising because they probably don't have that much pricing power which is the type of merchandise that they sell ebitda increased uh, 5.7 percent to 293 million net earnings up 2.7 percent to 146 million they opened 13 net new stores in the quarter their store count actually increased year over year 5.1 percent to 1381 they repurchased 163 million worth of shares for the quarter. They continued to have solid free cash flow, which is what you would expect from Dollarama. Uh, they also announced a quarterly dividend of, z- of five cents and change per share. All in all, uh, you're looking here at Dollarama, probably slight increase in same store sales or so organic growth but for the most part you're looking at a company that will be increasing its revenues mostly as they open new stores so it'll be just interesting to keep an eye on they tend to share that new store count quite a bit in their earnings release so if you're interested in them keep an eye on that yeah it's a grow by new store story and that comparable same store sales that's the number that everyone looked at. It looks like it was down, you know, 5% here. But with Dollarama, it suffers from the same kind of problems we were just talking about, which is I like the company. I like the story. I like the category of dollar stores. We've seen this model work so effectively. We've seen them actually have surprising pricing power, but they suffer from scale outside of Canada. And that's a really structural disadvantage that I, I can't really get behind. It has all the makings of a high-quality compounder. You know, they buy back lots of stock, they generate lots of cash, they raise the dividend year over year, they have high return on invested capital when they deploy a new store, and it, and it gets better over time as the store reaches maturation. But overall, I mean, you have that structural scale problem. And a lot of Canadian companies do have that problem. And that's why I've been just ho-hum with Dollarama when we talk about it on the podcast, which is simply put, I like the stock, but I don't love the stock. Moving on, Affirm, ticker AFRM. This buy now, pay pay later company IPO'd in January. It is basically flat since they IPO'd, but it is actually up 100% in the past month. 
So if you are doing math at home, yes, this stock lost 50% of its value after it IPO'd, uh, within a few months after it IPO'd. On a quick side note, Shopify does own 8% of Affirm, which is an interesting thing to take note of. Affirm is the business of buy now and pay later. When you check out on certain e-commerce platform, you will see pay with Affirm, which is basically moving your payments to installments. Their Q4 came out on September 9th, so they have that weird fiscal schedule, with merchandise volume up 106% and revenues up 71% year over year. They did lose over $100 million in the quarter, so they're not profitable. But they also announced a huge partnership with Amazon. This is a big thing. They partnered with Shopify already. So they have the distribution from the big boys and like they're ready to go, which is already impressive execution. They do have some notable concentration risk. They even separate their growth numbers with Peloton and without Peloton. Peloton is the stationary bike company we've talked about a few times. They do have expensive bikes, so it makes sense that the buy now, pay later segment works for them. This is a big customer, Peloton, so um, it's it's worth mentioning some customer concentration risk. Now, a firm has some explosive growth. It loses lots of money, though, and it moves around a lot. It's crazy volatile. It was down like 11% yesterday. So if you own these high-growth, unprofitable companies, stick out the volatility. You got to focus on business results, not share price results. Now, there is obviously competition with with names like Afterpay, which did which is being bought by Square for $29 billion, all stock. The big thing I see with Afterpay is that they have a partnership with Stripe and a firm does not. Stripe, in my opinion, is the most important fintech payments company that exists right now. Even if Square and PayPal are doing more volume on their networks, I think that in the next 10 years and even right now, uh, Stripe sorry, will be the most important fintech platform. So it's important to uh, take note of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. There seems to be a lot of uh, new entrants to that space. And I know some of the big banks are also getting into that market of the buy now, pay later. Kind of reminds me of back in the day, the uh, department stores where you could just sign up on the spot for a credit card and you get like 10, 15% off. So it's just a new way of doing things. And like I've said it before, it's just uh, buy now, worry later, basically for the consumer. Buy now, worry later is probably a good way to put it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's worth noting, right? Because the business model itself is kind of predatory. There's no way around it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now let's move on to a stock that makes no sense, GameStop. Um, so GameStop came out with their earnings. Uh, obviously, there's always some drama surrounding GameStop. They still have a market cap of $14.5 billion approximately. Uh, that's when I checked a few days ago. So knowing how volatile their stock is, it's probably give or take a few billion dollars. Um, the conference call was quite entertaining. So the whole call was seven minutes, but once you remove the operator kind of introducing the the CEO, um, the call lasted six minutes. Management did not allow any questions from analysts. I'm assuming it's still because of, you know, the meme stock thing and that 
the share price is so disconnected with the reality of the business that management doesn't even want to get into that. Further results, sales were up 25% to $1.18 billion versus last year. Net loss of $61.6 million. Gross profit margins was almost the same as last year, which was approximately 27%. They only have $47 million in debt on the balance sheet, which is something management talked about. And it's actually a French government loan related to the pandemic response. They launched a new 530,000 square foot fulfillment center in Reno, Nevada. They did not provide any guidance. Uh, they were free cash flow negative for the quarter. So yeah, that's, uh, that's what's going on with GameStop personally. I think management could approach this a bit better, even if they allow questions, maybe be straightforward and just say they will not answer any questions related to uh, GameStop and Wall Street bets, uh, something like that. But uh, not a fan of them not uh, having any questions whatsoever for, for shareholders in general. The management team's in a tricky situation, right? Where they're just trying to execute on a transformation of this business and the good old GME going to the moon news headline is all that people really care about. So, I mean, it's got to be a frustrating situation for GameStop. You did mention to me, you're like, go, go listen to the, <laughs> to the call. It's only seven minutes. You won't need much time. I was like, okay, you know what? I actually listened to it and I put it on. <laughs> I made breakfast and I was like just getting the, the pan heated up and the call was over and I wasn't paying attention and it was already over. I'm like, ah, whatever. Like Simon will go through it today. But yeah, I mean, the call being seven minutes is, is hilarious. I got to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So now we'll move on to uh, some news, not earnings release. Um, some of you may have heard Canada Goose was fined by the Chinese government. Uh, they fined Canada Goose 450,000 yuan, which is approximately $88,000 Canadian. Last week, the Chinese government claimed that Canada Goose was misleading consumers in China and accused them not using the same material that they were saying their jackets had. So basically, ad false advertising. That that's what it was. Uh, that that's what the reason was behind uh, the fine. I wanted to talk about that because we have talked about this before when it comes to the Chinese government, that they have rules that they want to enforce and they will not be shy of enforcing those rules however they see fit. So whether this is true, what they're alleging that Canada Goose is doing or not, it doesn't matter. They're enforcing it and it's unilateral. And I wanted to mention this because Canada Goose is a Canadian company. It's listed in Canada and the U.S., but they still do a lot of business in China. And I know a lot of people will tweet at us when we say we own Tencent, for example. I own the ETFK Web as well. And they'll say, oh, why even bother investing in China? And, you know, that's fine. It's not for everyone, but realize that it's very possible that businesses that you own that are listed in the U.S. or Canada could be impacted by this as well because they have a significant part of their business in China. So it's not only Chinese listed companies that can be affected by this. It's any business doing business in China. Yeah, well put. It's something to consider, right? Is Even North American companies 
Let's look at Apple, for instance. The biggest company by market cap on the planet has such tight ties with China, not only from their supply chain and manufacturing capacity, but it's also the largest market that they sell smartphones into. So it doesn't just, the risk, the China wildcard doesn't just apply to the Chinese listings. And, you know, I did a spaces on Twitter the other day uh, with Barry Schwartz, who's going to be coming on the podcast soon. Get hyped for that. He's always on BNM Bloomberg and stuff like that. So some of you guys might be familiar with him. And we were just talking about it. And I said, hey, you know what? This risk is out there. It exists. We know it exists. And I completely understand if investors say, hey, I live in North America, I live in Canada, I can't understand what's going on in China, so I just stay away. I, I don't have any edge there. And I think that is a completely legit take, completely legit take. My take recently has been that, I'm talking about Tencent specifically, it's the only one I know well, uh, has such a stranglehold on the way its citizens use the internet, which is extremely monopolistic and it's incredible business. That's why they're targeting it. That's why they're trying to bring down some of these tech names so I can understand that. But right now it is priced at somewhere that I am looking to make some money. And that's just the end of the, that's just the whole story right there is if you can buy great businesses at unreasonably low prices, that's what I'm going to try to do. And I think I could be wrong. I think that that's where this one sits. Yeah, yeah, well put. And the last thing I'm going to add is if you don't want to invest in in China, that's fine. But make sure you're aware of what's in your portfolio because they could be doing a lot of business in China. 100%. Where do you think that uh, iPhone you're holding was made? All right, last one of the day. Zscaler, okay. Zscaler, ticker ZS. It is a software as a service platform specializing in cloud security. They have over 5,000 enterprise companies and they claim that they have 500 of the largest 2,000 companies in the world on their security platform. Now, as a somewhat rookie to cloud computing and cybersecurity, let me explain what Zscaler does in the easiest way that I can, which I understand and you probably will be able to understand as well. So let me break this down into some terms that hopefully everyone is familiar with. So most businesses today, and especially pre-COVID, they have their employees connecting to their company network via various ways, whether it be employees at the head office, employees on the road, the, the road warriors, whether they have a VPN that they can connect to at home through the mobile device that their company gave them, or perhaps through apps on their own personal laptop and own personal phones. This bring your own device thing is a, is a common trend that we've seen. So connecting to their cloud platform as well as another list, whether it's they're on Google Drive, AWS, Azure products, the list goes on. There are tons of routes that employees can connect to networks via the internet. This creates a abundance of problems for cybersecurity for this company. 
Zscaler sits in the middle of this and they say, hey, look, our platform, you can connect every device and every way that the employees engage with the internet to your cloud provider on a secure Zscaler cloud. So it's not competing with cloud providers, rather existing as a middleman between the company and the internet. Zscaler's platform is called the Zero Trust Exchange, which all interactions flow through. So you have all these devices, you have all these ways to connect to the internet. Instead of being this discompobulated structure, everything's going to go through the Zscaler cloud and have this zero trust exchange, which is going to be more secure, less threats uh, to your cybersecurity at the enterprise. They reported Q4 revenues up 57%. They're not profitable. Gross margins were around 80%, which you like to see from these software as a service companies. They have consistently grown revenues by close to 50% or more, and it is still led by the founder, Jay Chaudhry. I mean, Simon Shocker, this thing trades at the classic nosebleed valuations over 50 times sales, cloud cybersecurity type multiples. The question is, is, is it cheap if they sustain this growth? I think that that's the question that a lot of us investors are struggling with right now and wrestling with is, are these companies worth those multiples? I just can't say for certain right now. Yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I don't know. And I don't know the uh, space well enough to to know that they're the, the top company in, in cybersecurity or cloud uh, security. Personally, I mean, just from an outsider, I failed to see if they have really a moat going forward. Like, I'm not sure if uh, a company, a competitor just comes in, has better overall technology, like what prevents any of their 500 businesses that are uh, of the 2,000 largest companies from changing, from going to another company. So that's probably the questions I'd be asking here. Like I said, like you said as well, like I just don't know this space well enough. If I were to invest in this space, I probably would rely on people that know this space better than I do on the one hand. And on the other hand, I would probably just do a basket approach and take the four or five top names according to industry experts that really understand this space well, equally weighted and just have the basket approach because obviously it's a industry that will grow over time i just don't know how to identify the winners yeah and that's a f- very fair point and getting to know the companies you want to invest in is obviously incredibly important but it's okay to say i don't know this i need to do more work and if you want to do more work on it and you want to dig into these cybersecurity cloud companies I guess you have to just go in with it that even if you have no idea what you're doing, I feel like it could be learned and it could be understood in a way that is at least makes some of this stuff investable. And I think that that's important, right? Is is saying, oh, it's too hard, I don't want to get to it, is a fair thing, a fair approach, you know, the too hard pile, that's what investors call it, like, I don't get it, I'm just going to move on. That's fair, but at the same time, if you do put in a little work in something that might be interesting and has this kind of huge secular trend like the cloud and like cybersecurity, then you might generate some huge returns by digging in a pile that no one else wants to look. From my perspective, CrowdStrike is the clear leader at the moment. 
again, trades at crazy expensive prices, but grows like mad and has these insane margins. It's really hard to switch off the platform and same with Zscaler as well. So that switching cost is appetizing. And I think that's, that's why people are, are interested in owning this stuff. But time will tell. Simon, 100 episodes. We did it, man. Congrats. We did it. And thank you for to everyone who's listening. We wouldn't have done it without your support. And hopefully we'll get another 200 or 300, whatever it is. We'll just keep going to 1,000 and beyond. It's a logarithmic scale. So we're not going to talk about it until we hit 1,000 now. <laughs> and then it's 10,000. Big round numbers. There you go. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, guys. If you have not checked out Stratosphere, some of these companies we're talking about, you can look them up. You can go on the news and find these exact things I'm talking about. They're in bullet points, nicely organized. For every single North American stock listed today, it's always up to date. You can look up their financials, their ratios, buy sell ratings, the chart if you're into that as well. That is getstockmarket.com or the company name stratosphereinvesting.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in a few days. Take it easy. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simone may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.